Welcome to High Country, Politics in the American West. My name is Sean Diller. Regular listeners might know me from Heartland Pod's Talking Politics every Monday. Go to heartlandpod.com for information on all our political podcasts and a link to support our work on Patreon. Sign up as an official podhead for just $5 per month to access all our premium podcast segments and political writing. To join the conversation on Twitter, find us at the Heartland Pod. All right, let's get into it. Water managers across the West agree... This is going to be painful. Water authorities in the western U.S. don't have a crystal ball, but rapidly receding reservoirs, uncovering sunken boats and other debris lost in their depths decades ago, give a clear view of the hard choices ahead. If western states do not agree on a plan to safeguard the Colorado River, the source of the region's vitality, there won't be enough water for anyone. Water managers, researchers, agricultural producers, and others from across the drought-stricken river basin met in Las Vegas last week for the Colorado River Water Users Association annual convention to face hard truths about the state of the river and historically low levels of its biggest reservoirs. Two decades of drought and poor planning have caused the river's biggest reservoirs, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, to drop to their lowest collective volume since they were filled. Rebecca Mitchell, director of the Colorado Water Conservation board said time is not on our side. Hydrology is not on our side. And that's the frightening reality. Every day that passes, this problem gets harder and harder to solve. The water could drop below what's needed to generate power as soon as next year. If nothing's done, there's a real possibility water levels in both reservoirs will drop so low in the next two years that water will no longer flow downstream to the 40 million people in the West who rely on the Colorado River. To put it in perspective, this winter both reservoirs were about a quarter full, 25%. In December of 1999, Lake Powell was at 88% and Lake Mead was at 96% capacity. In 2021, the lower basin states, California, Arizona, and Nevada, faced their first ever federally declared water shortage, which directs how much water states can draw from the Colorado River. Deeper cuts were declared this year. In June, Bureau of Reclamation Commissioner Camille Touton issued an ultimatum to states, develop a plan to save 2 million to 4 million acre-feet of water by next year, or the federal government will step in. During a panel discussion at last week's convention in Las Vegas, representatives for the seven western states who rely on the Colorado River said reaching a compromise will be their collective priority for the next six months. They agree that the longer it takes to stabilize the river and conserve the water needed to keep the river functional, the more likely reservoir levels will continue to plummet, leaving states with fewer and fewer options. Just last week, all of Southern California was declared to be in a drought emergency by the Metropolitan Water District, the main water supplier for Los Angeles County. Officials for the United States Bureau of Reclamation warned that aridification, the long-term shift to a drier climate, means even less snow runoff is making it to the river each year. Becky Mitchell of the Colorado Water Conservation Board said we've got to except we cannot cling to our entitlements or allocations. If the water's not there, none of it matters. Folks in the room have to be willing to let us make hard decisions because this is going to be painful. New Mexico's Human Services Department proposes medication-assisted treatment for incarcerated people. Beginning in 2024, New Mexico's Medicaid program could start providing medication-assisted treatment to incarcerated people 30 days before they're released, along with a 30-day supply of medication when they leave. The hope is that this will be a step toward reducing the harms of criminalizing substance use disorder and producing better outcomes. In a 270-page application to the United States Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services by the New Mexico Human Services Department published Friday, HSD says it hopes to ensure formerly incarcerated people stay on their medication after release and don't commit more crimes, end up in an emergency room, 
or unhoused. At any given time in New Mexico, more than 14,000 people are held in state, local, or youth correctional facilities, and nearly 50,000 people churn through local jails in the state each year. According to a lawsuit filed Thursday by the ACLU of New Mexico and Disability Rights New Mexico, New Mexico's prison system forces people who are on medication for opioid use disorder to withdraw from it when they enter prison. The lawsuit cites research showing that someone leaving incarceration is nearly 13 times more likely than the general population to die of an overdose in the first two weeks after their release. HSD wants to get people who are being held in jail before a trial or who are in prison post-conviction on Medicaid so they can get medication-assisted treatment while inside state prisons, local jails, youth correctional facilities, tribal holding facilities, tribal jails, and at the New Mexico Behavioral Health Institute. The department plans to focus on incarcerated people with serious mental health conditions, severe emotional disturbance, substance use disorder, or an intellectual or developmental disability. It estimates 7,500 people per year could benefit from the program. Biggest campaign spender in Colorado? Jared Polis, by a long shot. Democratic Governor Jared Polis spent $12.6 million of his own money on his successful re-election bid this year, more than any other state-level candidate. Polis's 2022 spending, however, didn't come close to the more than $23 million of his own wealth spent in 2018 to win his first gubernatorial campaign. After Governor Polis, the number two state-level political spender in Colorado this year was Total Wine and More at $12 million. That money went towards supporting Proposition 124, an unsuccessful ballot measure that would have let the retail giant open more liquor stores in Colorado. A few more highlights from the final campaign finance reports. Democratic candidates dominated spending on state-level, statewide contests. The Polis campaign spent more than three times the $3.7 million spent by his Republican opponent, who lost by more than 19 percentage points. The Democratic Attorneys General Association's state super PAC spent almost $3 million supporting Phil Weiser against his GOP challenger, John Kellner. In the costliest state Senate contest, Jefferson County-based Senate District 20 Republican developer Tim Walsh loaned his campaign more than $1 million in his loss to Democratic State Representative Lisa Cutter, who spent just $262,000. Altogether, Colorado spent more than $11 million helping elect Democratic State Senate candidates, compared with the $8.5 million spent by Senate Majority Fund, which supported Republicans. Natural Medicine Colorado spent $4.46 per vote on Proposition 122, which legalized psilocybin mushrooms and was approved by nearly 54% of voters. Nearly $4.4 million dollars of the total 5.8 million that was spent came from the national nonprofit new approach and its federal pack and healthy school meals for all colorado students spent a dollar 32 per vote in successfully passing proposition gg which eliminated a tax break for wealthy coloradans so that schools can provide free meals to all students numerous nonprofits accounted for the committee's 1.8 million dollars in spending mayor hancock declares an emergency Denver Mayor Michael Hancock has issued an emergency declaration so the city can more easily free up resources to support the ongoing influx of migrants into the city. At a news conference at the city's Emergency Operations Center Thursday, Hancock said about 700 unhoused migrants had arrived in recent weeks, and he isn't sure how many more the city can expect. The original emergency shelter the city set up at a recreation center hit capacity with 275 people, leading to two more recreation centers being pulled into the effort. Hancock said at the news conference, this influx of migrants, the the unanticipated nature of their arrival and our current space and staffing challenges have put an immense strain on city resources to the level where they're on the verge of reaching a breaking point. What I don't want to see is a local humanitarian crisis of unsheltered migrants 
because of the lack of resources. Mayor Hancock noted that most of the people seem to be coming through El Paso, Texas, and while the city has seen groups of migrants arriving for several months, only recently have they started arriving at the current volume and without notice. City officials say the migrants are coming from Central and South America, including Venezuela. Employees from multiple city agencies are being pulled from their regular duties and working around the clock to support migrants as they arrive. The city is most desperate for support when it comes to shelter space and staffing. Mayor Hancock asked that anyone who might have space that can serve as a shelter or who can volunteer to help reach out to the city's emergency operations center at donations at denvergov.org. He thanked the many city staff, volunteers, nonprofit, and faith organizations that have already stepped up to support the city's sheltering and reunification efforts. Mayor Hancock also thanked the hundreds of Denver residents who have donated clothing and supplies and asked for their continued patience as the city works through the situation. He said he's been in direct contact with Governor Jared Polis as well as members of Colorado's federal congressional delegation to help identify additional resources. Mayor Hancock also said, we're committed to doing what we can for the migrants and the asylum seekers who've come here. But here in Denver and cities all over this country are once again having to respond because of the failure of our Congress and federal government to address a very critical situation. I'm not trying to sound political, but I'm trying to sound pragmatic and practical. This is going to continue to happen, continue to overwhelm cities all over this country until Congress works on fixing the situation. There is an ongoing need for donations, and local faith-based groups and nonprofits are continuing to assist the city with its efforts to support the migrants. The city's established a drop-off location for physical donations at Iglesia Ciudad de Dios, located at 5255 West Warren Avenue in Denver. Donations are being accepted Tuesdays and Wednesdays between 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. The city released a list of needed items. They're looking for coats, pants, socks, underwear, warm hats and gloves, scarves, and boots children's clothing. The city's also asking local faith-based groups, nonprofits, and private sector partners to reach out if they are able to support its efforts by contacting the Emergency Operations Center with an email to donations at denvergov.org. And the unsolicited concert pick of the week, The Roots, with support from Big Crit, Tuesday, December 27th at Denver's Mission Ballroom. The Roots then play San Francisco on Thursday, December 29th, Los Angeles on New Year's Eve, and in 2023, their only U.S. show is in Chicago, March 18th. Well, that's it for me. From Denver, I'm Sean Diller. Original reporting for the stories in today's show come from the Colorado Sun, Nine News Denver, Nevada Current, Colorado Newsline, Source NM, and Denver's Westward. Thank you for listening. See you next time.